Hi, I'm Sylvia Sue. Welcome to More Than a Cake Store, a podcast where we'll explore stories of women in the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales who have faithfully responded with the gifts that God has given them, no matter how big or small, to the call of the gospel. And whether that skill is baking or banking, God receives it, hones it, and uses it for his glory. Our hope is that you'll be awed by God's graciousness and encouraged by these conversations to take the gifts that God has given and use them in service of him. Because after all, even a cake store in service of the king is more than a cake store. Uh, so welcome to uh, this episode of More Than a Cake Store. Uh, today I'm with Karen. Karen, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, so I'm Karen Cumberledge um, and I originally come from South Africa. I was born there and we moved to Australia in 2005 and I live in Wagga Wagga. The place so great they named it twice. Yes, that's correct. The place <laughs> so great they named it twice. <laughs> and worship at St. Aidan's Presbyterian Church. And we have four children, mm -hmm. um, all, all girls, and they are now between the ages of almost 22 and 13. Uh, Karen, tell us something about yourself that might surprise us. Well, I did my last ballet exam last year. Wow. Did you pass? I did. Good, good. <laughs> Did you wear a tutu? I declined the tutu, but okay. I did wear a skirt. I just thought I don't think we need the tutu. No, okay. Not at my age. <laughs> How lovely. Karen, you at 17 found out that you'd been accepted into a scholarship for further studies at university. Do you want to tell us about that scholarship and how it all happened? Yes, um, it was a scholarship to study medicine. I was not really... Uh, sure that this is what I wanted to do. So it wasn't this burning desire of my heart as it often is for young medical students to only want to be a doctor and nothing else. Um, I actually remember saying to my parents while I was doing the paperwork, filling this in for the scholarship, saying, I'm not sure whether I really want to be a doctor. Um, and that uncertainty was to the extent that I didn't actually apply to the university for selection for medicine at all. I only applied for the scholarship. And I was fairly sure that I wouldn't get it, uh, just because I was very sure that there would be many applicants who were much more, much cleverer, smarter than I was. Uh, but yeah, I applied and then I got the scholarship. And I was very surprised at that. And I wasn't sure that I could do it. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, what made them pick me? What if, I, what if I'm not successful? What if I don't pass? What if I just disappoint everyone? Um, but I was already Christian at that time, and I had 24 hours to accept or to accept the scholarship after they let me know. And I did a lot of praying in that 24 hours, and I suddenly saw this. I saw God's hand in this, and I decided that this must be a gift from Him because humanly I couldn't imagine why they would give me this opportunity, and I wasn't sure why God would give me this opportunity, but. I decided to trust him because if there's someone you can trust with your life and your future, it's God. Yeah. And I decided to trust him and to go for it, which is what I did. 
And looking back, I can really see how God used that to shape me. Um, and I wouldn't have been who I am if I hadn't studied medicine. I think it probably compelled me to do it and, and gave me that passion and drive was my desire to know God, serve God and please him um, in everything I did because I definitely already had that at that age. And I remember in our fourth year, uh, we did a ward round and on the, the wall there was this poster and the poster was a little cartoon and it had a little uh, person lying in a hospital bed and they had the covers pulled up right to their nose and the little bit of the face that you could see above the covers really had this anxious um, sort of expression, a pleading expression. And the little caption uh, said, Dear God, if I have to be sick, let it not be something interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, my first reaction to it was a bit of a smile because, at the irony um, because medicine was interesting and pathology was interesting. Uh, but I'm very grateful that I didn't just dismiss it as a, a quirky little poster, but it really stayed with me. And um, that very same day, I remember praying a very sincere and serious prayer and asking God to never let me see patients as interesting diseases, mm. but to allow me to see them with compassion, with his compassion. And I remember really feeling reminded of Jesus' interactions with people and how he could always, he always sees beyond what is right there, beyond the physical. You know, he really sees their need um, and their suffering. And yeah, yeah Yes, sometimes really like you can always say the anguish of their souls. And um, I, I asked that God would allow me to see people like that, to see their needs yeah. and to love them the way he does. Yeah. Yeah. And he never stopped uh, doing that, did he? I remember you telling me a story of one time a client who had come in that you were treating. God really showed something to you through that process. Yes. Um, yeah, we were in Wagga. And I was um, seeing a man in the clinic who had just been released from jail and as it would have it, the staff in the clinic where I worked um, told me uh, about this man's crime, which was a, a terribly violent crime that had occurred uh, many years before, but he was out on parole. And I, I, I kind of wished I didn't know, <laughs> but I, they had told me. And so I knew um, before I saw him and I could really feel myself being very clinical mm. Really had very little compassion for this man. I was really going to just deal with whatever he was there for, and I didn't feel like talking to him much at all. And so, and during the consultation, but he said something that was quite reflective, and I suddenly just realised that you know he's just he's just a man, and I suddenly saw you know how ashamed he was and how much hurt there was behind you know all these things that he that he was presenting. With. I think our consultation changed. In that moment, as I, I could really sense myself changing. I could feel how I was different with him. And sort of sitting down to write the notes, and it was suddenly as if the Holy Spirit was just tapping me on the shoulder. And I just had this reminder that God's kingdom is as available to him as it is to me. It is the same criteria that would save us. Mm -hmm. you know, if he repents and turns to Jesus to be his saviour, and accepts forgiveness that, that 
um, Jesus offers, then he is my brother in Christ. And it was a very sobering realisation, the realisation that, you know, that if I look at my history and I a little bit of what I know of his history, how different it is and how both of us are so equally lost, if not for Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we are equally welcome in the kingdom when we crown Jesus as our saviour and our king. Yeah. So it was just a, a bit of a turning point. It made such an impression that I spoke to a friend of mine about it. I told her what had happened. And I remember her saying to me, I do wonder what God will do with that. <laughs> I mean, I had no idea at the yeah. time yeah. what God would do with that. Um, but, yeah. Was another one of those sort of pivotal moments in medicine. The the gospel is such an equaliser. It brings us all, whatever your status, your wealth, your career, whatever you've done, at the end of the day, the gospel says you've all fallen short, we've all fallen short, and there is only one who is able uh, to save us, and that's Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lovely reminder, isn't it? Because sometimes in our cosy churches and in our cosy families, Everybody else can be the sinner. Everybody outside the walls of the church, everybody else in our family needs to repent. Uh, and it's, it's so gracious of God to remind us that we're all the same and Jesus is the one who makes the difference. Mm. Yeah. What does it mean for you to see people the way God sees them? How has that impacted your life? I do think that there is a, um, you know, it's a gift that God gives. And at times, and I prayed for that, like I've said before, and God did give, he does give me that when I talk to people. I do I do see them and notice their needs and their hurts. And it just, it gives me patience with, mm. with people, I think. And it, it does help me to love them. And I don't really think there's a better description for, the, for what happens is that you just love them and care not just about, how they're feeling today or what's physically happening to them, but care about whether they have considered where they will spend eternity. Um, I think that's the, the, the yeah. big difference. Um, I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't see the here and now needs, but very often we are very limited in our ability to meet those needs. Yeah. A lot of it's very circumstantial and there's not really much we can do about it. We can be alongside someone yeah. and in that process offer them the gospel hope. So you eventually um, moved on from being a GP down the road. You went to the children and fa- became the children and families ministry coordinator at St Aidan's in Wagga, and then later as a chaplain at Juvenile Justice in Wagga. Why did you continue to work in medicine at the same time? Yeah, I um, originally when I took the, the role at. Uh, St Aidan's I did continue medicine and then I stopped for a little while and then I took it back up again um when I felt God was calling me to ministry I also felt quite certain that he was not saying to give up the medicine kind of saw it as this like an altar stone altar with two pillars that it's resting on and the altar was quite asymmetrical. It was very tall tower on the one side, pillar on one side, and a low one on the other side. And everything I try to put on this altar just keeps sliding off. And I want to bring it as an offering to God, but it keeps slipping off. And when I kind of looked back at it, I saw that the very tall pillar is medical skill and knowledge. And the shorter one was ministry skills. And I realized that every time I felt dissatisfied with medicine I would do more study and I would convince myself that if I just know more and I learn more and I study more and I build more skills and confidence 
I will feel fulfilled in it. But of course, that doesn't work. But I had not really built ministry skills. So um, at that time, I was working at Headspace. And I'd been teaching kids church for a bit, uh, for a couple of years. And the role came up or became available. And I remember feeling like, oh, maybe I should think about doing that. And then immediately thinking, I don't think I'm qualified to do that. I don't think I know enough. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. And then, you know, God really called me to ministry through his word. I was reading the story of where Jesus uh, multiplies the fish and bread uh, and feeds the 5,000. And I was thinking about this question that Jesus asks the disciples and he asks them to, you know, he says, how will we feed all these people? And it's actually a ridiculous question because you can't. That's really the answer. And I was thinking, well, that's kind of like all these young people that I see at Headspace who come through the door and they seem quite purposeless. They don't know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, by an awesome God who loves them and a God who doesn't make mistakes, and doesn't make junk. But they don't realize that. And it just seems like it's such a big problem. And then add to that all the suffering in the world and all these things. And I'm thinking, as God's people, it's like God says we should do something about it. But we can't. Like, we, we can never fix all of it. It's too much. It's like feeding these 5,000 people. It's just impossible. But then if you, as you read on, you know, there's this little boy who brings his lunch. You know, his fish and bread that he's got this very small portion. and he brings that to Jesus and in a way, you know, he makes this available, but in a way it's kind of like, you know, if I was thinking if I'm a little boy and this is my lunch, I don't think I would bring it because I would feel like it can never do much. You know, it couldn't feed 5,000 people. That's ridiculous. It just wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be good enough. It wouldn't be enough. So I would just maybe not even offer it. As I suddenly realized that this little boy realized something or knew something that Nobody else in the story seemed to know. That is that he knew who he was giving this to and making this yeah. available to. And I really felt Jesus inviting me to bring what he has already given me because it's not of my own making. Um, he had provided and given me gifts and talents and abilities and he's inviting me to put that in his hand and he will feed 5,000 people with it. I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. But what I can do is do what he has made me good at. Yeah. Is do use the gifts and the talents that he's given me and put it in his hand and watch him work. And that was really how I was absolutely convinced when I understood that, that this is what God's asking me to do. And I was so excited about it. And I decided I'm going to speak to our minister and Tell him I'm, I'm available <laughs> and maybe, you know, if he says it's, is that my work or I need to study first or do something, whatever, I'll deal with that as it is. But then um, it was incredibly encouraging. The session of my local church were very encouraging and they gave me the job and I absolutely loved it. Mm. I love doing it. It felt like breathing. It was just felt incredibly natural. Yeah. And I love the creativity of it and just uh, I just really enjoyed it. I don't think I've ever enjoyed work as much as I enjoyed that. Uh, so it was really good. And in that time, then I decided to do some theology study while I was doing that. Not that it was a requirement um, of session, but 
I kind of felt like if this is what I'm doing, I would like to um, know that I am making every effort to equip myself as much as I can. And so I enrolled and did an online uh, diploma in biblical theology with more college. And so I didn't practice medicine for a while. I love that idea of it's not about the, the loaves and fishes and it's not even about the little boy. It's just about who he's bringing it to. That's such yeah. a... As you were saying that, it was such a crystal picture. None of the other stuff matters. All that matters is who you're bringing it to. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. With all that you've accomplished, with all of these different iterations of work throughout your life, you've told me that you struggled with this sense of inadequacy. How have you faced that fear? I don't really know if it's a fear. Perhaps a, a healthy reality check. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Bible does warn us to not think higher of ourselves than we ought to. Um, and I think it certainly helps me to, you know, whenever I feel inadequate, it's actually encouraging to know that it's not about me. It's actually, it's not, it's not my ministry. It is the work of the kingdom. And look, Jesus is all about the kingdom. Mm. Right through all of his teaching and all of Jesus' ministry, everything is about the kingdom of God. And, you know, he invites us to work alongside him in his kingdom, which is such an amazing yeah. privilege. And I think feeling like I can't do it is a fantastic reminder of how much I need him. Yeah. Um, yeah I think, you know, if I ever think I can do this on my own, or, <laughs> then I'm in trouble. Yeah. And so that's where we've all got pear-shaped. <laughs> so pragmatism and faith helps you cope with this sense of inadequacy. I think it's also really knowing who God says I am and yeah. trusting in that. So, yeah, I was talking to one of the boys today and we were talking about faith and what is a simple definition for it. And I said to him, you know, faith is believing that God is who he says he is, not what I want him to be, but who he says he is and believing that he will do what he said he would do. Yeah. And after you ask that now, I suppose it, it's also believing that I am who he says I am. I think that keeps our relationship in perspective. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let me ask you, Karen, who does God say that you are? Well, God says I am chosen. He says I am forgiven. Mm. He says I am loved. Mm. And, you know, he says I'm worth it. <laughs> I was worth it, you know, him dying on the cross for me. What more could you want in life? It's pretty incredible, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, we can look at women like yourself and think that you're just a very high-achieving woman and you're kind of like a, you know, an island, self-sustained, doing this on your own. I'm sure with great support from your husband, of course. Um, but your local church has also been really supportive in your ministry. Uh, can you tell us how they have partnered with you and supported you? Yeah, look, I think no one is an island, especially not in our walk in faith. Um, one of the greatest resources that God gives us is one another. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's so important for us as, as a church that we have one another. Um, and so, yeah, God has given me a wonderful church family that are a great blessing to me. And they do partner with me. It was really wonderful being on the staff team for those three years and working very closely with um, with Session and with our minister. Even now as a chaplain, you know, I send prayer updates to the, the prayer requests, updates to the prayer 
newsletter, uh, there's always somebody who's asking me how things are going and how they can pray for me, and I really appreciate that. But yeah, it's very, very special. Yeah. yeah. It's so lovely to feel um, held by God, but then to feel the expression of that or the tangible expression of that in your church family as they hold you and support you and uh, even reminding you that they're praying for you or asking how they can keep praying is always such a helpful reminder that God is still holding all of the different little bits yeah. in control. Your eldest daughter, you've told me, is now considering future in ministry. What advice would you give to her? Well, the advice that I did give her <laughs> was to work out what God has made her good at and then develop those skills and talents and then put them back in his hand. Yeah and make herself available for what he wants her to do in the kingdom. Mm. took me years to learn that. Sometimes I think, oh, God, as I tell my children, please, nothing. took me years to learn this, and I'm telling you, but I don't really know if you're going to take years before it makes sense to me. It sounds so together, doesn't it? It just sounds so <laughs> concise and together. In, in God's very kind way, it takes years to be able to live that out and apply it. But she's seen a great role model do that, so... Hopefully it'll be an easier lesson for her. Thank you so much for your time, Karen. Uh, we're so um, delighted to hear about how God has shaped you and moved you and allowed you to serve him uh, and serve the kingdom. It's so exciting to hear. And we look forward to hearing how you'll be able to continue doing that in all the different ways that God has you doing that. Thank you. Father God, we thank you so much for your love for Karen, that you chose her and set her aside, equipping her to serve your kingdom. We thank you for the way that you have worked in her life, granting her that medicine scholarship and then growing her and opening her eyes to, to look with compassion on those that you have given her to serve. We thank you for the precious partnership she's had with her church and the way that she has been able to serve you in medicine, in kids ministry and in chaplaincy. You're a generous and glorious father and we praise you because with just our simplest offerings, with just our fish and loaves, you can take them and in your hands they become something incredible and majestic. We pray that each of us listening, just like Karen, will take the gifts that you have given us and put them back in your hands and wait and see exactly what you will do how you will bless and grow your kingdom. Amen. Thank you, our dear faithful friends, for joining us for this first season of More Than a Cake Store. Our next season drops next week. We'll consider the stories of several women who appear in Jesus's origin story. His direct ancestors, but also those women who eagerly, patiently, faithfully waited for the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God wrapped in human flesh. We hope you'll join us. This podcast is a ministry of the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales Women's Ministry Committee. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram or at pcnswomen.org.au. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with your friends so that they too will be encouraged by these conversations to take the gifts that God has given them and use them in service of Him 